All right. Good morning, guys. For those of you who are new, I especially want to say welcome. We are doing a new teaching series in the life of Salt City, and that's very purposeful for us. Every year we do sort of an orientation for new people to who we are, our core values. And those are celebrate, connect, and contribute. So this morning we're talking about celebrating. And I think that our culture knows a lot about celebrating. It's been observed by many people that one thing that people in our day love is to be celebrated. You see this everywhere. People want to be celebrated for their looks, for their talent, for their athletic prowess. And so they post and they post and they post. And all of us at some level have been guilty of doing this But all of us have also despised other people who do this. Maybe for different reasons than we do this. But this isn't a modern social problem. This has been going on since the beginning of time. And over 100 years ago, well, actually a little less than 100 years ago, a guy named C.S. Lewis wrote this about the propensity of human beings to want to be celebrated And then made an observation about how he was viewing God at that time. He said, we all despise the man who demands continued assurance of his own virtue, intelligence, or delightfulness. We despise still more the crowd of people around every dictator, every millionaire, every celebrity who gratify that demand. Thus a picture at once ludicrous and horrible both of God and his worshipers, threatened to appear in my mind. The Psalms were especially troublesome in this way. Praise the Lord. Oh, praise the Lord with me. Praise him. Worse still was the statement put into God's own mouth. Whoever offers me thanks and praise, he honors me. It was hideously like saying, what I most want is to be told that I am good and great. It was extremely distressing. It made one think what one least wanted to think. Gratitude to God, reverence to him, obedience to him, I thought I could understand, not this perpetual eulogy. So here's what Lewis was saying, is that he had always despised people wanting to be celebrated, but when he was first exploring the claims of Christianity, and he was reading through the Psalms, he thought that God was doing the same thing. He thought that God was demanding that we worship him like a teenage girl asking us to check out her Instagram account. He wanted to be praised. And C.S. Lewis, throughout his time of discovery of what it meant to be a Christian, discovered that that's not what God was doing at all. And this is a summary of what he discovered, but also what we're going to see in this psalm that we're looking at this morning. It's that we were made to worship God by enjoying him. In other words, when God calls us to worship him or to celebrate who he is, it's not because he's deficient, has some need, and needs a bunch of people to tell him that he's great. It's because he has something for us that he wants us to enjoy. And so there's three reasons for this. The first one is who God is. 
So look with me at Psalm chapter 115. We're looking at verses 1 and 2 to start. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness, why should the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. So this is one of those statements that C.S. Lewis came across in the Psalms where the psalmist is saying to God, not to us. In other words, don't give us glory, don't give us praise, but instead give your name glory. That word glory is the Hebrew word kabod. It means honor, splendor, and reverence. The psalmist is saying it is right for God to reverence himself, to give himself glory, honor, reverence, and praise because he is the most worthy person in the universe. It's not even close. And the reason that he says God is worthy is stated for us in verse 3. It is that our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Now, the theological word to describe what the psalmist is declaring here is that God is sovereign. In other words, God's will can never be crossed or thwarted. If God wants to do something, he will do it. If God purposes something, it will happen. There is no one who is a rival of God, sort of an equal opposite force who can keep God from doing what he wants to do. Even Satan himself is under the control of God in a great mystery. So God is in heaven and he does everything that he pleases. Now think about the people that we tend to celebrate. Now, probably the people that I'm most guilty of celebrating throughout my life are athletes. And I was thinking about why I love certain athletes. And probably the first athlete that I loved and celebrated was Michael Jordan. I grew up in the Michael Jordan era. I feel bad for you people who didn't grow up in that era. It was so amazing. I got to see him play live in 1998 in the NBA Finals. But I'm not supposed to be talking about that right now. So anyway... The thing that was so amazing about Michael Jordan is the announcers would often say about him at the end of the game that he would impose his will on the other team. And what they meant by that is there was a certain time in the game, toward the end of the game, where you give Michael Jordan the ball, everybody on his team just gets out of the way, and he does whatever he pleases. And you just knew that it was going to be happening. And I think that that is a dim reflection in the human heart of our longing to celebrate God. We long to celebrate somebody who will come through for us. We long to celebrate somebody whose will cannot be crossed, who cannot be thwarted, who does what they say, who keeps their promises, who always comes through in the clutch. Now, here's the difference between God and Michael Jordan. There's a lot of them. (laughs) But one of them 
is that the reason that God gives glory to his own name, the psalmist says in verse 1, is for the sake of his steadfast love and faithfulness. In other words, what God wants to put on display for us in doing whatever he pleases is not his might and his power sort of oppressing us and defeating us. The goal of creation and redemption and everything that God does is to put on display that he is a God of steadfast love and faithfulness. Here's something that you can count on. God will never stop loving you. God is not like your human father or your friend, especially not like your enemy. God is faithful. When he says that he'll do something, he will do it, and he cannot be crossed in his purpose to love and pursue messed up people like us. So God is a God of steadfast love who can never be successfully opposed. So that's who God is. The second thing we see in the text is what idols are. So there's a contrast set up in the text between God and idols. And basically the call of the text is worship God not idols, because God will come through for you in the clutch, and idols promise great things, but they'll let you down in the end. Look with me at Psalm 115, verses 4 through 8. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak, eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear, noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel, feet, but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. So at this time, people literally worshipped idols. It was common to have a statue made of silver or gold in your home that you would bow down to. And the psalmist's argument is very simple. These idols have been made with human hands. They can't speak when you need a word of encouragement. They can't give you a hug when you need touch. They can't give you a listening ear when you are stressed out of your mind. Because they are the work of human hands, they are by definition subhuman. But a god by definition, is superhuman. So he's making fun of them. Why are you worshiping idols? Just at the logical level, this doesn't make any sense. I remember having this feeling when I toured through a Buddhist monastery in the middle of China and people were bowing down to statues made out of yak butter. It's like, you're literally worshiping yak butter. This is ridiculous. And this is what the psalmist is doing. He's making fun of their idolatry 
because it's ridiculous. In other words, he's saying it is ridiculous to worship a God who can never meet your most basic human needs. And your most basic human need is not even for food or for clothing. Your most basic human need is for love. Idols don't love you. And some of us are tempted to be like, man, look at these primitive people back in the day or these backwoods people today who actually worship idols. I'm just glad we don't do that. And I think what the universal testimony of Scripture and even this passage would say to us is we worship tons of things that do not speak and do not hear and do not touch. Even think about the people that you tend to worship or the people that you tend to idolize. Imagine if that person walked through the door right now and you went up to them and were like, I have looked up to you my whole life. You are so amazing. Do you know what they would say to you? Who are you? And you would feel completely let down. In other words, they are celebrated from a distance, but they meet none of your needs. Here's what an idol does. It takes and takes and takes and takes and takes and takes and takes, and it never gives. Never gives. Never meets the real need of your heart. That brand new car, that brand new house, it takes and takes and takes and takes your money. It takes and takes and takes and takes your time. And you are left sitting in that car on those leather seats or in your recliner in your house, still the same dissatisfied grump that you were before. It doesn't meet your needs. That's what idols do. Idols are like Skittles. Okay, I'm trying to explain to my kids that Skittles, although they taste good, they are not food. And so I have this like imaginary scenario with my kids where I just imagine, like, can you imagine, like, giving a pack of Skittles to Abraham Lincoln or giving a pack of Skittles to Moses? And, and they would just look at it and be like, there is no way I'm eating this. This is disgusting. Like, what is even in this? You start reading the back package of this. So although it's good, if you tried to only eat Skittles, it would take and take and take and take. In other words, your teeth would rot, your body would get fat, you would die early, and it would give you nothing, no nutritional value. Here's what's true of us in terms of what we give our celebration to. That is what we think is worthy of our attention. That is what we think will satisfy us. It is almost 100% worthless. It will never fill the God-sized hole in your soul. So what good things in life have you tried to turn into God things to satisfy you? How have those things left you empty in longing for more? 
Okay, so we've seen who God is. We've seen what idols are. We've exposed them. And thirdly in the text, we see who we are. In other words, why is God the only one who can satisfy us and idols come so far short? It's because eternity is written on our hearts. We were made to be satisfied by God and him alone. Look with me at Psalm 115, verses 9 through 18. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both small and the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. So here is who the psalmist says that we are by implication in this text. We are dependent children. We do not know how to meet our own needs. We do not know how to satisfy ourselves. We are content eating Skittles when we need broccoli. And God is the one who is telling us what we need. He's pleading with us to come and have our souls satisfied by him. And here's what he's saying, the pathway to being satisfied by him is. It comes in three steps. The first one is, Trust in the Lord. In other words, that's part of what we're doing here. You need to expose those idols for what they are and recognize how dissatisfied you are. And then take God and his precious and very great promises in the Bible that he will satisfy you and meet all of your needs and trust him. Fight against yourself and your propensity to believe lies and fight to believe that God alone can satisfy your soul. Trust in the Lord. The second thing he says in verse 15 is that we are to be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. Here's what's going to happen as you walk this path of obedience, you stop leaning on this crutch of idols to satisfy you. You start to take God at his word, to believe his promises. You will experience a deep inner satisfaction and rich blessing. You will have this feeling like, this is what I was made for. I was made to be dependent on my Father who made heaven and earth and to have him look down at me and say, I love you. You're my child. Never will I leave you. 
never will I forsake you. See, it's both of those things that we see in this text that will satisfy our soul. It's that we would be blessed by the Lord. And our question is, who is the Lord that he should bless me? And the answer of the psalmist is, this is the God who made heaven and earth. So God is not an impotent father in heaven who can't do anything to help you out. He is father, which means he is kind and tender, but he also made heaven and earth, which means he is mighty. That's what you need. You need the excellency of God in both directions to meet the need of your soul. You need to know that he loves you so much that he'll never leave you or forsake you, but you also need to know that he's mighty enough that he can actually come through on that promise. And the good news I have for you is that he is both. And then, as you experience that blessing from God, what begins to happen in your own soul is that you start to sing with the psalmist. This was originally written as a song. It was sung in corporate worship. And here's where the song ends. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. This is what happens in your soul when your needs are satisfied by the good food of God's word. God calls us to taste and see that the Lord is good. And this is simply a celebration of that meal where we say, yes, he is good. And the psalmist is so intoxicated, so drunk with this love of God that he says, and I will sing this song forever. I never want this moment to end. See, guys, we're not religious people who are asking you to go through the motions here. We are Jesus people who believe that God is the living God and that he can actually meet the needs that are unspoken and deep in your soul. You were made to be satisfied in God. The church father, St. Augustine, said that you will be restless until you find your rest in God. So here's what you'll notice. Far from being a God who demands our praise because he is needy, God demands our praise because in Praising him alone will we find our satisfaction. Here's the truth about the human soul and about human nature. We praise what we enjoy. I did just this just the other night. Do you guys remember that huge storm that came through? The wind was blowing 40 miles an hour and the rain was going sideways and, and all that. And I went down to see if my kids were awake. And my twin girls who are nine years old, were awake. And so I, I said, girls, you have to come outside. You have to come into the garage. You have to see this. And so I, I, I raised up the garage, and we stood in the garage, and we just were like, whoa, this is amazing. And do you know why I did that? Because 
I had already stood in the garage by myself and looked at the rain, but I had to share that with somebody. In other words, the praise is completed by sharing it with someone else. God is the most glorious person in the universe. In fact, he created the universe. And so he is a unique individual in the sense that he is the greatest thing in the world. And so the way for God to share his glory with us is to tell us to praise him. The way for us to experience satisfaction is to tell others to praise him. This is how C.S. Lewis captured this discovery much more eloquently than I could ever say it. He says this, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete till it is expressed. It is frustrating to have discovered a new author and not to be able to tell anyone how good he is, to come suddenly at the turn of the road upon some mountain valley of unexpected grandeur and then to have to keep silent because the people with you care for it no more than for a tin can in the ditch. To hear a good joke and find no one to share it with, if it were possible for a created soul fully To appreciate, that is to love and delight in the worthiest object of all, and simultaneously at every moment to give this delight perfect expression, then that soul would be in supreme beatitude. Beatitude means happiness or blessedness. To see what the doctrine really means, we must suppose ourselves to be in perfect love with God, drunk with, drowned in, dissolved by that delight which far from remaining pent up within ourselves as incommunicable, Hence, hardly tolerable bliss flows out from us incessantly again in effortless and perfect expression. Our joy is no more separable from the praise in which it liberates and utters itself than the brightness a mirror receives is separable from the brightness it sheds. The Scotch Catechism says that man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. But we shall then know that these are the same thing. Fully to enjoy is to glorify. In commanding us to glorify him or worship him, God is inviting us to enjoy him. God wants you to experience his brightness the way that a mirror reflects the sun. He wants you to so receive it that you immediately reflect it in praise. When I say that I want you to celebrate, what I'm saying is that I want your college experience or I want your life as a young professional in this city to be the most delightful, enjoyable intoxicating experience that it possibly can be. And here's what I and the psalmist are lifting our voices to say. Oh, Salt City, trust in the Lord. Be blessed by the Lord and praise the Lord forevermore because he alone can meet all of your needs 
by his steadfast love and his perfect faithfulness. Let's pray. God, so often we settle for counterfeit gods. We think that by endlessly scrolling through a celebrity's Instagram account, or we think by watching a sports star's highlights over and over again, or by getting a new car, or by getting the perfect job, or by getting the perfect spouse, or having the perfect kids, that we will be satisfied. But even the good things in life are not you. God, would you help us to see that and not to just get bummed and overwhelmed by a feeling of guilt, but instead to run to you, to taste and see that you are good. Would you satisfy us, and would that result in praise, joy? In Jesus' name, 